0: Hey all you heavenly humans, I'm Mandy Le and welcome to And Other Things, a podcast about navigating life, learning from past experiences, embracing growing pains, and laughing along the way. Meet me right here every week for thoughtful conversation, challenging discussion, and an all-round great time. happy monday happy february 1st of 2021 and happy black history month y'all for those who don't know february is black history month here in the u.s where i currently am and from my understanding bhm is a whole month to celebrate the contributions of black people here in the US which is something that I'm still learning about as I wasn't born here in the US and I'm not American and obviously we should continue to celebrate the contributions of black people outside of this month but it's awesome that there's this whole month dedicated to just this I'll keep my intro here short because today's episode is going to be so, so good. And I want to make sure that you stick around to listen to all of it. But I just wanted to say hi because there was no episode last week and the week before. Sorry. So, hi. I know I also said that the podcast episode of the week segment would only be for my solo episodes. But I have really good recommendations for this month as we celebrate Black History Month. So, today's podcast episode of the week is from the New York Times podcast, 1619. And it's the first episode of that show, The Fight for a True Democracy. Now, in the episode, the journalist Nicole Hannah-Jones, who's the host takes us through a short history lesson, if you will, that highlights the fact that the democracy that is the USA as we know it today would not have come about without black people. So although America was founded on the ideal of a democracy, right, it was black people who actually fought to make sure that it lived up to that ideal as always you can find a link to that episode in the show notes because you definitely should listen to it and you can also find a link to an article about the origins of black history month okay now on to today's guest episode I'm very excited to be joined by another guest who I'm meeting for the first time via Zoom. Her name is Tanya. She is a 22 year old Zimbabwean British educator who is passionate about decolonizing education. She's also interested in music and fashion. Hi Tanya, thank you for being on the
1: podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm yeah really happy to be here today. I'm excited, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I mean, considering the state of the world, I'm actually doing yeah. pretty well. So how are yeah. you doing? I'm good.
0: It's been a, a wild ride, but we're we're <laughs> moving. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so um we're gonna start with what I like to call the pre game and that's where I just ask random questions just to get to know you better and so the audience knows you better. Does that sound good? Yeah, sounds great. Okay if you could arm um, wrestle any historical figure who would you choose and why oh
1: my god <laughs> no. Ooh, um, any historical figure mm. I say Robert Mugabe you know yeah <laughs> you know I was thinking very very ancient but now thinking about it I would love to pick his brain I would love to kind Mm. of just get to know him and I think an arm wrestle would be a funny way to do that so yeah yeah he's a very interesting character (laughs) that's really interesting (laughs) do you think you would win I don't think I'd win I think I would quiver and I would be scared so I wouldn't really put up my best fight because I would be like wow I'm in front of Robert Mugabe today so who knows
0: (laughs) (laughs) okay okay nice Who would you like to play you in a movie? Mm, I don't know actresses' names. This is going to be hard. Oh, maybe you can say one movie they played in. Because I do know quite a few actresses by name.
1: Because I'm trying to think about looks as well as, like, personality. And I'm just thinking... Mm. Mm. You know, I'm going to say Tracy Ellis Ross, just because... yeah because i think she has the same like um we're not exactly and i've been watching girlfriends a lot right recently love that show so good love it so much so i feel like um joan has the same high energy that i have hopefully i'm not as crazy as her so i think she's
0: wild you know there's the character in tv shows who you just want to like throw your shoe at
1: sometimes yeah that's
0: joan for me yeah
1: i mean there's lots of characteristics i don't like about joan but in terms of like the high energy and because you put me on the spot and i haven't had too much time to think about it is the first person that comes to mind so tracy ellis ross so would you have her
0: play you when you are older i guess when you are older because she is much older
1: I suppose, yeah. I was probably thinking Tracy Ellis Ross during the age when she was was... younger. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. Awesome. And what's one of your pet peeves? Oh, let me think.
1: Bad drivers. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) I get I get a lot of road rage, so I just hate (laughs) that. Just bad drivers or like people that just um, beep at you for no reason. Like, calm down, there's no need to, (laughs) (laughs) yeah.
0: That's a good one. I I don't drive, but I hate drivers who don't stop for pedestrians because I am like a pedestrian through and through. And even I don't know what it is about this area of the U.S. I'm not sure if it's like this all the time, but even when there's clearly like a stop sign and a pedestrian crosswalk, they just don't stop. Sometimes I'm like I'm just gonna risk my life here to teach them a lesson. <laughs> so if you hit me, you're going to jail.
1: No, me. I'm I'm a good driver. I like to say so myself, and I always I tend to give way to a lot of people like pedestrians Mm. and other cars so i love that
0: yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) okay last question what was the first thing you remember buying with your own money oh
1: first thing do you know i can't remember it but it was probably probably sweets or something like that or chocolate yeah Yeah, yeah. i think Mm. it's something like that i know the last thing i bought but not the first thing
0: (laughs) What was the last thing you bought?
1: So I did a Zara order. If you guys know me personally, you know that I'm obsessed with Zara the shop and I'm always shopping there. (laughs)
0: Awesome. Great. I feel like I know a lot about you now. (laughs) But yeah, so can you tell me a little bit about your upbringing?
1: So um, as you said in my introduction, um, I'm Zimbabwean British. So I was born in Zimbabwe. Um, I only lived there for two years actually. And then we moved to Botswana for like a year and a half. So Botswana has a very special place in my heart as well. And I moved to the UK when I was five and I would say my upbringing was interesting because where I lived was a predominantly white place and Mm. I always felt so out of place, but something that I always wanted to go back to like my Zimbabwean roots. That's something that I made sure I never lost in terms of like speaking my language um, just embracing it, even though I felt like I couldn't necessarily embrace it with the people around me. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think generally like my childhood was very much like, Um, it was fun because where I lived was such a cool adventurous place like we I lived like on an island so we could go to the beaches and stuff like that like in the south of um, England which was really nice as a little kid but the fact that it was very like predominantly white and there wasn't very many like black people or any ethnic minorities itself I think Mm. that was quite challenging which is why when I got the opportunity to go to university I just knew that I wanted to go to a big city so initially I wanted to go to london but london Mm. is a very expensive city so i chose um, manchester instead and i think i truly found myself when i went to university in terms of who i met um feeling comfortable in my skin with my habits and stuff like that and just having friends from my own culture and black friends as well so yeah Mm. and yeah my my childhood was interesting i think in my family Mm. we like grew up very zimbabwean it was kind of like a hybrid of very zimbabwean um morals and ideals as well as kind of incorporating some of the more lax British um, ideals as well within my household.
0: Mm. Do you remember much of Zimbabwe? I know you said you're a five which is very young <laughs> but is there any memory?
1: No not so much my memories of Zimbabwe were definitely when I went on like my last family holiday there which was when I was like seven so honestly I never really visited Zimbabwe that often I think So the last time um, I went back with my family, I was seven. And then um, I went again only last year um, back to Zimbabwe. So yeah, I had, I had very few memories of Zimbabwe, but I felt like I never really missed out in terms of like the cultural side, because my family, I speak the language, we eat the food and stuff like that Mm. here within England. And my mum and dad also had Zimbabwean friends as well. So I was still quite exposed to the culture in that sense are you
0: Shauna Ndebele? I am Shana. <laughs> okay, nice, awesome. What are you, are you I'm guessing by your name you're Ndebele? My dad is, but okay. we speak Shauna at home and English. Oh, yeah. okay, interesting. Yeah. interesting. That's yeah. great, and so when I was in college, I learned about this phenomenon where, i I can't remember the name, but it usually happens when um people who are from one country move to another country and they start to feel a stronger connection to their home country even yeah. though they are far away do you have that sense of feeling strongly connected to your home because you are far away a
1: hundred percent I think like when people ask me where I'm from like I it's only really, t- like, this year I started saying Zimbabwean British because mm. I, I started to acknowledge, okay, I grew up in Britain, so I do have, like, that British side. But I'm not going to lie, growing up, I just wanted to push the British part away. Um, and I think also because um, I now have um, British citizenship, but I didn't get that till I was, like, 17. So I grew up, like, with my Zim passport for mm. a very long time, which a lot of people in Britain tend to, as quickly as possible, get their British citizenship um but yeah it's just i think because a where i grew up was predominantly white and i didn't have like you know the zim society around me aside from just my family as much like i was always yearning to kind of like connect to the zimbabwean side and you know as um i'm sure any immigrant can relate um when you live in the uk or maybe even the us you never really feel british anyway because you're not white Mm, so that's probably another reason why you latch on to um your Mm. the the um country of your parents or the country of your birth mm. yeah,
0: and something that I've struggled with, going off of what you just said is, I, I know you went to the the UK when you were five years old and I've been in the US for four years, but I started to ask myself, you know, what makes me Zimbabwean? Is it that I was born there, that I speak the language, that I eat the food when I've been here for four years and have grown so much and so much of me is westernized, westernized,
1: excuse me. So what do you think makes you Zimbabwean? Um, it's a little habits like... Um... Mm-hmm i had my cousin over christmas and he's born and raised in zimbabwe like you. and he was Mm -hmm. just like oh even though you've grown up here you can't take the zimbabwean out you to the simple things of like how i'll still be eating chicken feet and stuff like that (laughs) i know that sounds so ridiculous but like or um the way that i eat my chicken like down to the bone which like in the west (laughs) they're really leaving a lot of scraps on um my expressions like Mm. um because at home um we speak Shona or like Shonglish I always say but like Mm -hmm. there's all the Zimbabwean and Shona expressions I always have um my mindset as well like yes I do have westernized ideals but also I still have a lot of like Zimbabwean ideologies and Mm. ways of thinking but um yeah I would say it's the little things is what makes me Zimbabwean just like the little habits that like Zimbabwean people would do or um, those with dual heritage of dual like African heritage would do something like that so I don't know maybe other Zimbabweans do not say that I'm not Zimbabwean which is fine like mm. I know I'm a mixture of both but I, f- yeah. I, I like to embrace my Zimbabwean side as much as possible.
0: Yeah I love that that's awesome <laughs> and so you have this blog Instagram blog is it did it start on Instagram?
1: Yeah, so it's still just okay. on Instagram. The website is still not around as much <laughs> as people have been asking me when is going to launch. When I have the time, I'll have a website. Mm. Yeah, so I have um, an Instagram blog called Never Taught in School. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think I started it when I was in university, um, mainly because I just hated how um, African people and Africa itself was portrayed, um, in the media, um, like I said, again, like, because of where I grew up, I grew up to kind of feel that I shouldn't really, like, embrace that I'm Zimbabwean, especially being Zimbabwean of all the African Mm. countries, and, like, um, yeah, and it's just, like, constantly in the media, you would have, like, everything you see is constantly, like, starving children, poverty, and, like, of Mm. course, that's um, part of like Africa, it's not to say that that doesn't happen, but that's not all it is. And I think going to university and then having and making international friends, I made a lot of friends um, from mm. abroad, from the Caribbean, friends that grew up in Botswana, friends that grew up in Zimbabwe as well. And to see like their lifestyles um, is really opposite to what they portray in the media. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just knew that I need to have a blog where I could learn about all the things that I wanted to learn about. And it was also partially inspired by my father because a lot of what I know about Zimbabwe and Zimbabwean history or African history is to do with what my dad always told me and the stories he told me. And the fact that I loved history as a subject when I was in school, mm. but very much the focus is on Um, European history and British history which is fine but even within British history you don't learn about black history there's a lot of um, contributions by immigrants and black people African people and Caribbean people that is completely um, voided and erased and I just felt like you know it's time that we actually start learning about the diversity of our culture and Mm. yeah yeah (laughs) that's really awesome
0: I love that and I think It wasn't until I think when I got here and um, until I was exposed to just the open mindedness of people here that I realized just how limited our education system was and i grew up in zimbabwe Mm -hmm. and i I went to a private school and so we did um the cambridge curriculum and so we learned european history i know american history we only spent one year on zim history and it probably was like two terms out of the three and so what does decolonizing education mean to you
1: Oh that is a very tough question. (laughs) I think decolonizing education really just means dismantling white supremacy because Mm. um, part of the reason why we look at Africa in the lens that we do or why the media tends to focus on Africa as being underdeveloped and Mm. almost um, a synonym to savagery is because I was watching this video actually and this professor was saying how they wanted to hide our history because then Mm. they could justify a they could justify slavery they could justify colonialism because if we know that we are great then we're gonna fight back and we're gonna push off the idea that whiteness or white supremacy is the best thing. Mm. Even when we look at Zimbabwean history, I remember I always look back to this reference, look at Great Zimbabwe, the ruins, right? Mm. When the first Europeans came there, they started saying how, oh, there's no way Africans could have built this. And they came up with the weirdest of theories of how, oh, there must've been earlier civilizations of Europeans who came and built this and then just mm. suddenly disappeared. Or the fact that in South Africa, like a lot of the similar ruins of like um, Great Zimbabwe, right? of the same like era they used to hide them and um they weren't really discovered or they weren't really exposed to the world till kind of like the mid or early 20th century Mm. because um the white colonizers that came over to South Africa wanted to spread the idea that they were the first people in that land in order for them to kind of what's it called have like the officiality of saying that no this is our land basically or to justify colonialism and it's just like crazy to me because um we have such a rich history pre-colonial Africa is very different to what it is now like before we were undisturbed we had great kingdoms you look in West Africa I don't know if you've heard of Mansa Musa right Mm. um this king from Mali he was the richest man in history can you imagine Mm. Mm. and I think to the point where when he did his like um pilgrim to Mecca he um he gave out so much gold that he devalued the value of gold like because he was just giving out so much but like these things we don't learn about because um it's in the interest of white supremacy to look Mm. down upon africa because then it justifies everything that they ever did to us and it justifies how it's in its current state so for Mm. me sorry i just realized this is such a long no it's okay (laughs) um back to your question um yeah decolonizing education to me is just um dismantling white supremacy and dismantling what we've been told is the norm and just kind of um rethinking um our current pieces of information rethinking what we Mm. think is the status quo basically Mm.
0: and so twofold follow-up question I think some people would argue that because you you were raised in England that you need to learn European history. Why would you need to know African history if that's where you were raised? Whereas, you know, I could say, like, I want to learn Zimbabwean history. That should be taught in school because you know zimbabwe we need to learn
1: our own history so what would you say to people who think like that i would say that the european history that you're learning is not the true history i Mm. as someone who did history from we have in the uk gcsc so we have this exam where you're kind of 14 years old for example i've been Mm. learning history for all my life and then i decided to continue and pick history as an a-level subject so as an option yeah not once did we we learned about slavery in the u.s context but not once did we learn about the british empire and Mm. colonial acts not once did we learn about um the caribbean immigrants that came to england and helped um, rebuild the country when all the mm. men had died from world war ii not once did we learn about the black tudors that contributed to british society or to other european societies for example in portugal D- did anyone no one until recently i did not know there was probably over two hundred thousand black people living in portugal during like the mm. tudor times not once did we learn about um the black um what's it called and the african um armies and um, what's it called, units that were in Roman times in England. Mm-hmm. So when people try to say, okay, well, why do we need to learn about African history? Because you need to learn about European history. First of all, think about the type of European history you're learning because you're not actually learning your actual history for once. Mm. So yeah, that's my answer is the, history that, the European history that you're learning isn't even the true history because you're erasing a lot of things. And it mm. does affect how we think in society. There was even a recent article back onto the whole Europe stuff where um, this white um, film critique was annoyed because there was Indian soldiers in this historical film with Mm. um, Sikh head garments, for example. And he was saying, oh, the only reason that there's Indian people in this film is for um, diversity. You're just trying to be woke. And it's ridiculous because if he actually knew anything about history, he would know that there was a lot of Indian people that fought in World War II for the mm. British Empire. There was a lot of African and Caribbean people. So yeah. because we don't learn about the true nature of European or um, British history, things like that end up happening. You don't really, mm. they don't even know their own history for once. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah that's really powerful. <laughs> it's really powerful. And I think... Um, I was watching this show on Amazon well it's, I think it's a three a series of three or four movies um, called
1: Small Acts. i I'm not sure if you've heard about it I have heard about it and have you watched it I've not watched it I think okay. I have to be in the right mood but I posted about it either on Never Taught in School or on one of my other Instagram pages as one to watch um, yeah yeah i
0: was i was watching the first episode a couple of nights ago and i was just so shocked that i've never even heard that story of the caribbean and west indies people going to england and just how much they were involved in the society and just the atrocities that they faced and i think when you said that it's a ratio to not learn about african history in european countries you are absolutely right because Not only are you erasing, you know, the things that they did for Mm. um, the European countries, but you're erasing them as a whole because part of their history, you know, West Indies, Caribbean people is African history. And so I think it's so important to um, recognize that link. And I think a lot of European countries and the U.S. have not taken the time to confront their past and confront the horrible things they've done to people and just kind of like brush it off and I think when we talk of reparations mm. educating people on what happened in the past and giving space to people in movies and arts in school especially I think that's one form of giving reparations or repairing that relationship between colonizers and African people or um, you know other people who have been done disserviced um over time and do you think that this so yours is an instagram blog and you're you are taking space on instagram specifically to educate other people do you think that this is something that should be done in schools or do you see the movement taking space in the form of arts like movies social media things like that
1: It's something that needs to penetrate all factors of society. So Mm. in terms of schools, I'm going to plug a few organizations. There's a really big organization right now in the UK called the Black Curriculum and that was also founded by um, a recent graduate, um, I think her name is Lavinia Stenich so she's of um, mm. Caribbean heritage and her purpose or the purpose of that um, organization is to implement Black Studies or Black History 300 uh, 365 days of the year because in the UK mm. we celebrate Black History Month. I say we celebrate it but to be honest quite a lot of schools don't celebrate it unless mm. you're from urban areas. I don't think I ever black history month once at school mm. so um the purpose of her edu- her um, organization is to make sure that that history is implemented into um the school curriculum because it is part of british society and um going off that as well i think it's so important that we have it in the arts we have it in what's mm. it called in every factor like aside from never taught in school so i do that more based on afro-caribbean history i also mm. have like um a small coalition that I started recently after the Black Lives Matter movement where me and a group of um, students from my my past university Mm -hmm. we started an organisation called Teach Black Studies and Mm -hmm. so the aim of that is to kind of decolonize higher education and implement you know black studies or African studies within university spaces because even in the courses you know the post-colonial politics and the kind of like African history and African studies courses within universities you will find that they're actually not very well decolonized and they still mm. have like remnants of white supremacy within them. Simple things like for some reason a lot of the African studies courses are all taught by white cis males and mm. there's such there's not many black you know professors teaching these courses so you're kind mm. of having this point of view of um you know the European gaze within subjects that, you know, we should be looking on a different direction Mm. but yeah I think I think having serious like small acts is absolutely brilliant because in the UK I'll speak in the UK context we have this reliance on thinking of oh, racial tension racial issues is a US problem slavery yeah. is a US thing and it's like no slavery or colonialism is very much something that's um ingrained in British society mm. racism discrimination is something that's ingrained in British society so we also need to Um, look at how to dismantle that in any ways we can, whether it's arts, music, um, Mm. education in schools. But I think for me, uh, my main focus is education in schools. And obviously, like, um, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think after the Black Lives Matter movement earlier this year, I think we realised just how far-reaching the prongs of racism are. And I definitely, before coming to the States, thought it was something that only happened in the US. And that's maybe because of just how much space black people have taken in media, how much their stories are told, which is still not enough. I think there's still so much room to be taken. But you don't see those same stories. Like I was saying with small acts, that was the first time that I'd heard, you know, I know about Windrush and things, but that's from, you know, coming across it by accident. But I feel like there needs to be media that is purposefully used to tell the stories of people who have been, as you said,
1: erased. Yeah. It's um, very true. Even with um things I learned so much from Black Lives Matter because yes, yeah. I grew up in the UK so I under the racial problem in the UK but recently I started connecting with some creatives some black creatives in Australia which Mm -hmm. I don't know much about but I was so shocked to find how racist that country is and all the issues that happened there and again I think the Black Lives Matter movement also highlighted all the issues within those countries as well that people don't tend to focus on because everything is very much oh okay it's just the US it's all about the US but it's
0: yeah.
1: racism and white supremacy is something that is worldwide and it's in every single country so yeah.
0: Yeah I think the reason that it it almost seems like it's a US problem only is that it's so ingrained in the way that we do things that we don't even realize that this is, you know, the power of white supremacy. And going back to education, um, well, I guess one example that I can give of white supremacy playing a role in my education growing up, apart from, you know, the subjects that we learned was that we weren't allowed to speak Shauna in, our primary schools and actually in my high school as well. It was a private school and that they would just say you're not allowed to speak Shana because it's a English medium school. But speaking Shana does not interfere with my study. So I just thought that was so, so bizarre and after Black Lives Matter, there was a movement of students from those private schools who started Instagram blogs as well called like Black At and then insert the name of the school and just people were sharing their experiences of experiencing racism and it just seems, it seems like there's just so many buried bones that just came out this year and I think it's great. I think it's time to um, make some change and it, it. I think we need to start with recognizing where racism is fitting in and then that's how we work on uncovering it and um, for you you are in you are an educator as I said in my introduction and so were you interested in education before starting Never Taught in School or was there something after realizing just how racist education can be that you started becoming interested in
1: education um hmm. i think in terms of um me being someone that actually decolonizes education that was something that i discovered after starting never twin school Mm. however i've always been interested in discovering and learning history um just in general, like, especially, um, my own history, afro cuban history, and even just history of, um, what's it called? Marginalized people. That's something that mm-hmm. I'd always had an interest in, but at the time I didn't realize that, um, what the word decolonization is or was, mm-hmm. um, in that sense, but never taught in school is something that really pushed me into that direction. And then I realized that, you know, um, everything that I'm really interested in is with to do with education especially after starting the other coalition this year Mm. um I was someone that was running away from like education or teaching as like um, what's it called a career and I was like no I don't want to do that I just want to do other things and yes I have interest in other things but I kind of realized like if all the organizations or all the kind of like um you know, projects that I'm starting on are so what's it called, based around education, then it seems that's that's something that I know I want to go into as like a future career.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so you are interested in well, you are doing a what did you call it? A formation?
1: So I'm doing um a postgraduate certificate in education. Okay. So I, I guess it's like a postgraduate graduate um, qualification because in the UK or I guess in other countries, you know, mm-hmm. most people go into masters. So this is like masters level, but it's just like um, half of a masters, if that makes sense. Okay. So for example, if I wanted to turn it into a masters, the masters it would be, it would be a masters in education. Okay. Yeah.
0: I see. And so with that, you told me earlier before we started this call that you wanted to teach um well you would be teaching biochemistry and physics right
1: yeah so that's um mainly because my undergraduate is in biomedical sciences so um, in terms of like options of what um teaching qualification i could do i could only really do that because that's what my undergraduate was Mm. um so it's a strange story because people are kind of like how come you're involved in like decolonial education and like history and stuff like that but you did a science degree back in the day I kind of like um was like oh okay what's going to get me a good job because if I study history at university yeah. like the only thing I'm probably going to become is like a history teacher because having people yeah. become historians so that's one of the reasons why I did choose science and also I do enjoy biology anyway mm. um which is a bit random kind of like oh I have like the decolonizing education yeah. but I'm also like into sciences but you know that's just <laughs> That's, That's just how me. it worked out. Yeah, it's just how yeah. it worked out, basically.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I was going to ask, with that, do you, how do you envision yourself as a future teacher decolonizing the
1: practice of science, if at all? Oh. Um... I guess one ways I can decolonize the practices in science is encouraging um, more black people into the what's it called into the subject because Mm. there's definitely like um, obviously within science it's very much more white cis dominated like there's Mm. not as many minorities in that subject depending on which one we're talking about in biology there's a lot of women and minorities Mm. in it but the likes of physics and chemistry that's how I can do and like I want to be kind of protective of, like, the Black students because Black students tend to, especially of Caribbean heritage, don't tend to perform as well in schools in Britain, for example. Mm. So I would love to be a role model for those students because there's not a lot Mm. of Black teachers, honestly, in the UK. Like, there's very few of them. So um, I think just kind of, like, um, mentoring, obviously, all my students as well, but specifically just uplifting the Black students that, who don't always get that same attention or the same level of love they would from their other teachers and stuff like that is ways I can decolonize it um yeah 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 but you put me on the spot that one I've never really <laughs> thought about because I've always thought about I was like you know in history I can kind of make my mm. make my mark but like in sciences I'm not really sure but I guess that's yeah, it, think about, yeah.
0: It could be easier to do and I guess the humanities, like even thinking of literature, just reading more books by people of color. But yeah, in yes. the sciences, it could be tricky. I'm not I haven't studied science in a while, but I um is it more theoretical or more hands-on? Because I imagine if it's theoretical you could, you know, focus on reading or learning from textbooks written by people of color or something like that
1: um so it depends which subject so there's so many Mm -hmm. different types of science subjects so for example if you're doing subjects such as applied science that's very Mm -hmm. much more on the practical side but if you're doing the likes of like physics and chemistry it's very much like and biology to a certain extent is very theoretical Mm -hmm. i think the biggest issues of like um education in the uk is like we have to follow quite a strict curriculum and so like they tend to come with their own textbooks but what I try to do is just like, um, I can do this more with the older students, having topical Mm -hmm. discussions, you know, um, going off topic sometimes. So for example, ways I could also, um, put in kind of like the Afro-Caribbean history within science is talking about science history, for example, Mm -hmm. like even when I did history in, um, my A-level. So when I was like 17, 18, we had to do like a project and, at the time, I thought I was going to study medicine. So I did my uh-huh. um, topic on, like, um, what's it called? The history of surgery, for example. Mm-hmm. And when I did my undergraduate, we had three units. So as much as possible in my undergraduate, I wanted to do, like, less science topics. And I did, like, um, a subject called the history of science, technology, and medicine.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: in one of those ones, I, one of the essays I wrote, I talked about um, the mental health... Um, pandemic within black communities for example mm. so there are ways to kind of link um you know sciences or biology with yeah. like other things or medicine as well is a really good way yeah. to link like su- um, sciences of minority studies and like um, what's it called disparities and that kind of thing so i can definitely kind of bring that into the wider like conversations i have in teaching
0: yeah, I love that. When you st- were talking about medicine, reminded me of this um, podcast that I listened to. I'm not sure if you know the podcast. It's called Sixteen Nineteen. Oh, I've never heard of it, but I'm gonna. You, I think you would that. really <laughs> like it. Um, and they did this episode. So it, I think it's a six or seven part series, um, podcast, and each one goes through a different. I guess, aspect of African-American history. And the first one is about slavery. But the one that I wanted to talk about is the one about um, the healthcare system and how it just really does not benefit African-Americans or black people. And that's why, you know, so many women who are pregnant and black are just more likely to die during childbirth. And it's just, it's the most, it almost seems dystopian, you know, when you think about when people say, oh, you know, they sent the aids virus to africa like Mm. that sort of thing it's almost like they're just (laughs) doing these things or in putting these things in our systems to kill us off then eventually they will you know white people will be the only people in the world yeah yeah that's off topic but
1: (laughs) you should listen to the podcast it's really good i mean even the same statistics you talked about pregnant women that's actually Mm. really similar in the uk in the uk Mm. um black women are three times as I think it's three times more likely. Do not quote me on that. Yeah. um, Die from childbirth or suffer from complications compared to white women. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, So
1: those things can definitely apply here as well. Um, And um, you're speaking about disparities as well. Another Zimbabwean actually as well. He, um, he's a med student. He recently um, started devising um, what's it called a handbook of how to diagnose dermatological conditions on darker skin. Wow. currently in the british um dermal like the handbook that they use in medical students there's apparently there's not even a single picture of like Mm. skin conditions on dark on dark skin tones which is just crazy to me because obviously they're gonna appear differently look different yeah 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 it's crazy yeah
0: so i i really love that you are getting into this work and i'm sure there's so many ways that you can implement it in the sciences and i'm excited to see how Um, the system can keep changing and so I guess what I'm hearing is that there's sort of three pillars to decolonizing education so there's like the subjects or the material that is used and what is taught in the classes and then there's who are the people teaching that material and then who are the people learning that material so getting more black students into um, the classrooms does that sound right? Yeah I mean you've explained it
1: in such a way that I wouldn't I could not have explained it better, <laughs> but I'm, I think because the subject is so like you know diverse and vague a lot of people have different yeah. definitions but I completely agree with that 100% yeah yeah
0: that's awesome and so do you think that this movement will become more mainstream and be implemented into the schools because like you said um, British schools and other schools are very strict and very to the t about their curriculums and the fact that we are using Cambridge all the way in Zimbabwe just shows how powerful the education system is. So do you think that this is something that will um, get, gain momentum in the years to come?
1: Or is this still a push for, you know, the long run? It's definitely a push from the long run, because to be quite frankly honest, the idea of decolonization has been around for um a very, very long time. Like mm. when we talk about like certain Black scholars, like from kind of like the mid yeah, from the uh, no, from even like um before the twentieth century, you have things mm. like the fact that you had like the Pan African Congress and stuff like that, I yeah. would say that is starting to decolonize in itself. And then you had like more black scholars and like writers such as like James Baldwin coming into the picture. Mm-hmm. And then fast forward to the twenty first century, I feel like the more modern decolonial um um what's it called, um movement started off with um I don't know if you've heard of Roads Mustall. So it was, like, the movement that got started by um, students from Rhodes University in South Africa. And I think it started in, like, 2005, five, two thousand.
0: Oh, is this yeah.
1: about the statue? Yeah, the statue. Yeah, okay, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, it began to, like, explode everywhere. So, like, anywhere. Because there's a lot of um, Cecil Rhodes statues everywhere, like in Cambridge yeah. and all that kind mm. of stuff. So I feel like that's when, like, the modern decolonization of education system kind of started. And then, mm. obviously, now we've had another resurgence of Black Lives Matter, um and I think that is now kind of more like the social media like side of it so like now Mm -hmm. it's kind of widespread into the social media world but I think until like um white people kind of go on come on board to it and yes more and more white people are coming on board to it and understand why like um dismantling white supremacy is also something they need to do and something that benefits them as well um I don't think like the work is going to be completed anytime soon I just think this is gonna Mm. because realistically we don't have equal rights or yeah uh, yeah and yeah you can just see it in the way that certain society reacts and stuff like that like this Mm. is something that is still going to take quite a few more years to like accomplish
0: yeah yeah which is unfortunate and I was listening to another podcast I really like podcasts which is why I have my (laughs) own but they were talking about um all the statues that people were bringing down right after you know the murder of George Floyd Mm. and the one that I listened to was actually about a statue in England um yeah I can't remember who it was but it was someone who enslaved people and I can't remember who it was um but just like a very horrible person and There was, when people brought down the statue, there was a lot of backlash from people who were like, oh no, this is part of our history. You know, this is our town. Um, It's just white people who are so used to that seeing that and that's part of who they are or at least that's what they think you know they're comfortable with that situation and so like you said it's not until white people get on boards that we will see movement you know if there are people defending those statues excuse me of people who kept slaves or enslaved people that there's no way that we can bring down those statues and then erect new ones of people who actually did good things Mm. you know
1: Mm, and yeah. and I bring it back to the point about how ratio of history because the thing is they say it's part of our history but it's part of um, a history through your eyes because mm. on that plaque at no point does it ever mention about how he built up Bristol where the money, the money that he um, got from the slave trade and how he benefited from that and stuff like that is very much about oh he's a pillar of because it happened in Bristol the city of Bristol who was it? Do um, you know? I can't remember. Let me look quickly because I did actually write okay. a post about it, you know. Okay,
0: great. Yeah.
1: Uh, there we go. So his name was something Colston. Mm. Um I think. Uh, Edward Colston. If that's the mm. name. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there was another statue that this artist um made of a woman who yeah. was at the protest, um, with a beret, I think, with her black power sign like fist in the air, which was an amazing one because I think like with that, you can have a little plaque that talks about why this statue was even erected up and what yeah. was there before. And it's annoying because when people like say, "Oh, you're you're saying that you're complaining about erasure of history, but you're removing the statue and you're and you're effectively erasing history," and it's like, "No, we're not, because that statue in itself, you're glorifying someone that did all these horrible things." Mm. It would honestly be exactly the same um, as like um what's it called having the likes of, like, Hitler or Hitler's generals or exactly. people that were involved. Maybe not Hitler himself, because I don't think Edward Colson was, like, to the same extent, yeah. but, like, the likes of people in the Nazi party and having them erected everywhere and not mm. talking about the Holocaust. So I don't really understand why people can't see the, like, um the, what's it called, the symmetry in it. It's just yeah. crazy to me, yeah. Yeah,
0: it's, yeah, but I really liked what you said about getting the people with the power on board first to see the change and hopefully we'll see some movement because education is something that's so prevalent in your life I mean you spend at least 18 years if you are obviously privileged enough to have an education you spend 18 years of your most formative years you know learning about all of these things and it really influences how you see the world I mean I can think back to my time in primary school and learning European history I hated history it was (laughs) the worst subject I would just like sit there and I was a good student but I would literally fall asleep in history it was the worst so I just think that really shaped how I saw the world and um, I talked about in my podcast Thinking or not not thinking that I was white, but wanting to be like the white students, because that's all that I ever saw when I went to school. And then when I came to uni, it was almost like the opposite effect where I was exposed to so many different people, so many different cultures. And that really shapes how I see the world today. So I think it's really great that you're, you're doing this work in um, in the education space, because that's such a crucial um time for a lot of people
1: yeah definitely and I've definitely been on a very similar journey to you. how kind of how we grew up and like our perspectives of the world during our schooling years and then how that flipped on its head as soon as we entered higher education and the people we met so yeah Mm,
0: yeah and so what was something that you've learned from doing your research that really surprised you that you didn't learn in school i'm sure there's so many things because your page is like so so many resources that i can't believe that that's just been missing from education but yeah what's something that really surprised you
1: oh okay something that really surprised me was um the african influence and a lot of the diaspora especially like um in things that we look at as being so european um simple things like um certain dances like tango um mm. it's, it's not just european it's a very much a hybrid of african culture and the european culture that um what's it called blended together in argentina so i mean when i look at tango i just see oh this looks so like european like how could this yeah. have anything from africa and i remember watching a lecture and um he w- the guy was pretty much speaking about how like the enslaved people and the kind of dances that you find there and how it was very much inspired by kind of like the Congo Kingdom and stuff like that. And I was like, wow, like we really um have shaped so much. Mm. Um things like for example, vaccination. Um the idea I think to the idea to vaccinate against smallpox was inspired by how um this enslaved African what's it called was um I won't go into too much detail because then I'm going to yeah. go into the science side of it. but yeah. um, practices of what this enslaved African did and how the slave master then observed that. And then he went and developed mm. that or yeah, just like we've inspired so much and like, and it's just not talked about and it's not really like referenced that. And, you know, everything is very much like, Oh, okay. Whiteness and Europeanism brought along like modernization or like mm. has invented everything in the world, but that's not the case. Like, or
0: Yeah. All. yeah. Yeah, that's true. And I'm going to reference that podcast I talked about earlier, 1619. They actually did an episode, I think it was the last episode, all about music. And it was about how almost every genre of music in, in the US, I don't know about the world all over, but was influenced by the African-American um, enslaved people's um, Yeah spirituals like the negro spirituals and how even in like you know the american i'm not sure if you if you've heard this kind of music but it's like the white american banjo like country hillbilly yeah. music was influenced by um african-american music it's like the craziest thing and i think that's like when you talked about erasure that's like a huge huge form of erasure is just thinking mm. that you know that music is for white people and even country music I think country yeah. I, they talked about the white people listening to their enslaved the enslaved people singing in the field then going and replicating it and like adding their own whatever touch to it so I think it's even if it's a hybrid I think there needs to be credit where credit is due so exactly exactly
1: like you can even speak about rock and roll and like how a lot of elvis's songs are just stolen (laughs) from the likes of like um little richard and just like all these other black um musicians that never made it because they wanted it to be um palatable to Mm -hmm. the white audience and stuff like that even southern food in america is very much black foods like (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah it's just it's really crazy and I think a lot of people don't even realize that and that's why the work that you're doing is so important because people really need to know um the roots of the things that they are doing
1: and where do you do your research yeah, definitely. um so everywhere like I know most historians are lovers of reading books like I yeah. <laughs> I used to be such a book poem when I was younger but I don't know if it's just I don't have the time for it or like university mm. ruined that for me so i don't tend to read a lot of books but one thing i do love is reading like um journals um
0: mm. so
1: like academic journals because um i really appreciate what my course did for me within biomedical sciences we're always reading scientific journals and there's also mm. like journals for humanities and stuff like that so it's very easy for me to access information that way because it's all online so i don't have to think about okay getting a separate book so um yeah i get snippets from journals i um find pictures on instagram kind of Mm. look at where that was taken and then that inspires me to then research okay um look Mm. at this fish market in ghana what can i learn about this because i really love the like um picture and i want to post that picture so yeah that's really awesome
0: awesome. (laughs) i love that and where if people want to decolonize their I guess learning experience whether they're outside of school or still in school what would you recommend like what are some of the ways that we can do that personally
1: I think um following Instagram pages like mine there's so many different ones for different like places so for example um where I get a lot of my information for Caribbean history and culture is I follow this um blog called know your Caribbean and I absolutely love it like it's taught me so much about that region of the world which I didn't know it, as well as my friends so I would say Instagram is a good place because there's, there's a lot of educational um, blogs on there um, reading books by African authors as well because we mm-hmm. can fall into the trap of like okay there's a lot of writings about African culture and history and stuff like that but it's very much in the scope of like we're being observed by the European yeah. and stuff like that or like it's like you you know like how I was speaking about you go to uni and you're doing African studies but every single one of your lecturers is white and it's just a bit like weird because (laughs) we're being studied as if like we're like oh look at this like as if we're like on Nat geo or something like that so there's also that side of it so like I think if you want to get that perspective try to read from like black authors if you can Mm. um in terms of that and um and decolonizing things i think also think about how you think about things like um, one aspect of decolonization we i didn't really touch on was decolonizing your mind mm-hmm. because things like for example like if you're that kind of person who if you're like black or african and you see yourself as inferior start challenging those ideas and thinking why do i see myself as that or you're not proud of your like african country and stuff like that start challenging those ideas and thinking why do I think like that? Should I be thinking like that? So start decolonizing your mind, because I think that's also really important. It's not just, you know, the white people, the people in power that needs um, that kind of power mindset needs to be dismantled. It's also us as well as black peoples or people of African descent need to start seeing ourselves as um, worth worthy and worthwhile and not seeing ourselves as how white supremacy wants to see ourselves
0: wow that is i just love that I'm gonna <laughs> snap to that <laughs> i feel very strongly about that and i won't get into my experience with that but yeah i think that's a really great place to wrap up um but yeah i really want to thank you for your time and just one last time where can people find you what's
1: the name of your instagram blog okay so my instagram blog on afro-caribbean history and culture is called never taught in school Mm -hmm. and that's on yeah on instagram as i mentioned and if you're interested in specifically black studies you can also follow um my organization teach black studies uom the uom is because um it started with the university of manchester which is where i did my undergraduate so yeah Uh, so um, those are the two yeah so those are the two main kind of instagram accounts that I'm involved with organizations or projects that i mainly do so you can follow me on instagram and in those places
0: awesome and i'll also put them in the show notes just so people can have an easy link to follow but again i want to thank you for your time this is this was such a great chat and i am still on my journey of decolonizing my mind and my education and my learning experience so your blog is definitely a resource that i'm going to be leveraging throughout this time Thank you
1: so much. I've really, really enjoyed this conversation and thanks again for inviting me on here.